Hello and welcome to another episode of Breaking Mayberry, a podcast that negotiated away our likeness and our audio rights and is now run completely by AI, funded by our producers. I am Marty Schneider. I am Dan Ludwig. I am your host. (laughs) We really took a bath on that. And what's weird was the studios weren't even asking us for that. We just signed the contract anyway. We did not negotiate this well at all. The weirder part, I'm the producer. (laughs) Yeah, we gave this away, quote, I'm seeing it in our contract, for exposure, which in retrospect is not seeming like a smart move on our part. I feel extremely exposed right now. I will say that. Um, Yeah. Exposed more financially than anything else. Hello, welcome, listeners. Uh, We are a podcast about Baby Boomer Television, specifically The Andy Griffith Show, a uh, production which I believe was entirely SAG. Yeah. That was a union deal, union production. Uh, we're talking about we're talking about uh, strikes now. The Writers Guild uh, has been on strike. WGA has been on strike for like a month now. Uh, they were just joined by the Screen Actors Guild. Uh, and fuck them up. Talking, fuck them up. Uh, and this is like this falls deeply in our wheelhouse um, for a number of reasons. Not the least of which is that we watch all these things on streaming. Like we have gone through three or four different streams for the Andy Griffith Show. Of course, I don't oh, believe anybody's calling. getting. Re- Getting resi- I don't think anyone's getting residuals for the Andy Griffith show because they're all dead. But, you know, the, the Screen Actors Guild has been incredibly important to the production, to everything that we do. We also have a theory on this show that Howard McNear, who played Floyd the Barber, we have a kind of a theory that to keep his SAG health care, the reason why we see him, you know, every other episode, every couple of episodes, even though he can't stand, yeah. uh, is because he needed that SAG health care. Anyway, this is all getting into a bit of a thing. So Dan and I are not are not union. Dan and I are not writers or, or actors. We have, you know, day jobs. But, uh, you know, but we support these union strikes, and it sounds like they're going to go on for a long time. Uh, so... Right off the bat, we are bringing back our uh, Patreon and Gumroad funding uh, plan that we did, similar to what we did last year. So, for the next month after this, every every dollar that we get from Patreon is going to go to the strike funds for the Screen Actors Guild and the Writers Guild of America, donating to them to help that keep going. Uh, that means if you sign up for your $8 a month, where you get access to all of our bonus episodes... Uh, including the one we just did on Garfield, just mm-hmm. the entirety of Garfield. It was supposed to be one Garfield movie, but we just went all Garf all, all the time. Um, we garfed out pretty hard, man. We got we got we, real nasty up in there. You can call me Garf Brooks uh, yeah. and uh, Art Garfunkel, probably. Mm-hmm. Probably you're going to be yours. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Uh, uh, so anyway, all of the... All of our proceeds go to the strike fund. If you don't feel like doing the monthly commitment, though, we also have all of our, for a limited time, all of our bonus material up in packages that you can purchase on Gumroad. Uh, mm-hmm. And then you can just get all the bonus materials and just download those in, in, in different packages. And that money will also go to support strike funds. So that is our plug right up the right up the top. Patreon.com slash Breaking Mayberry. Uh, and I will say, you know, 
if you like it, tell your friends because I'm not promoting shit on shit anymore. <laughs> <laughs> We're a word of mouth podcast now. We baby. are a word of mouth. We are truly independent. I don't. We're, I don't really bother on the Twitter. We're like one of those VHSs that used to get passed around in underground San Francisco in the '90s. We're like <laughs> Winnebago mean, Man now. That's how Mystery Science Theater got started. Keep recycling the tapes or whatever. Yeah. I don't. We don't use the social medias anymore. I do you want? Do you want a blue sky code, Dan? I got a blue sky code. If you want it. No, I. I thought that's about the getting, right answer. That's yeah, the right I, answer. I, again, even before Twitter went nuclear, my uh, so my Twitter uh, high escape has been very healthy for my sanity. So probably, probably not. That, that's fair. Yeah, that's fair. Okay, so speaking of your sanity. We pre-recorded your intro for this episode because you told me a story that you could not fucking wait to tell me. Yeah. So when we when we recorded the Garfield bonus, we also recorded uh, the intro to this episode, which I guess will go right here. <laughs> Okay, Dan, please tell me we have an update. We have an update from the fly story. Yes, Flymageddon part two has happened. Um, okay. Our devoted listeners will remember uh, recently I, I, I got a house. I, I didn't buy a house. I rented a house. And uh, a couple of weeks ago when I first moved in, my basement and much of my kitchen became infle- infested with dozens, if not hundreds of flies. Right. Um, There's yes. definitely some sort of dead rodent in your walls or something. Yes. Uh, called an exterminator. They're gone. They're dead. But recently we had Flymageddon Part 2. Because it's really humid, apparently flies are trying to get into everybody's fucking houses. And it's been a huge problem all over the city. We got a shitload of house flies, but more importantly, a shitload of fruit flies. Oh, those little tiny fuckers. Yeah, which... um. They're super easy to kill, but there's a billion of the fuckers, so it's yeah. just you just have to basically carpet bomb your entire house, which is what I did. Um, I went online, I looked up every possible way to kill fruit flies. I did the traps. Um, I got um, uh, dog and human safe fly poison, uh, mostly just fucking witch hazel. Uh, I looked up a thing that scented candles disorient flies and make them easier to kill. Like it, um, it makes them like the, the, the substance in the air makes them slow down and they're groggy and you can just wipe them out. So I did all of these things. I lit a bunch of scented candles in my house. After that. Important question. Point of interest. Yeah. What scents? Uh, let's see. We had one that we made at a candle lab that was um, just a bunch of like like oak and stuff like that. We had very manly. We had lavender. Uh, B bought nice. a um, a novelty one of opposite of dog farts, which is hilarious. Um, and the one that we had going in the kitchen was campfire. The okay. campfire one was a big motherfucker with three wicks. What a what a delightful chemical warfare you're performing on these, yes, on these it, insects. I'm I'm going World War One on these little fuckers. Um, so I light the candles and I just start. I go back into fly killing RoboCop mode where I spend two hours just hunting and killing flies, just wiping them the fuck out. Um, and then Brianna is like, "Okay, you, you need to take a break. Come upstairs, blow out the candles before you come up." And I, I do that, but I say, I'm going to leave 
they're all in the kitchen, so I'm just going to leave the one in the kitchen, and I'm going to come back down in a little bit. I just really want to make sure that these fuckers are dead. So I go upstairs, I watch an episode of Taskmaster, um, and then Brianna is like, hey, can you grab me a snack? So I head downstairs, and the candle that is in the kitchen looks like the back of the Batmobile. Like, you could put it under a hot air balloon. It's just this jet of fire just shooting up out of the candle. Because I thought, because it was like all natural and it was mostly just fucking witch hazel, my bug spray wasn't a fuel. But it was, it apparently was, and there was, the room was full of it. Like the, the what do you mean the bug spray wasn't fuel? Oh, oh, because the bug spray was all natural. Yeah, I thought it's like, still an aerosol, dude. Yes, it was. I, I was in kill mode. Okay, I wasn't in keep your house safe mode. But so the room is full of bug spray. The the flame is like shooting up. Like all three wicks in the candle have united into one like Olympic torch flame. And, well, like, uh, like, like in Ghostbusters when they cross the stream. Yes, and, it's just uh. blasting upwards. And I, the first thing I think is like, all right, I don't have a fire extinguisher. I left that at the old apartment. I, I, this is a fueled flame, so I don't know if I can smother it. I might just light a towel on fire. So I'm gonna go with the simple option. I'm gonna fill up a thing of water and I'm just gonna dump it on this thing. And I do that. I'm, I'm a little proud of how calm I was doing this. And I dump it on, and for a sec, I thought I had burned down my house because it was like somebody had thrown a Molotov cocktail because the glass, like, cracked and then yeah. exploded, and the wax just flew everywhere. Um, and the wax, yeah, like, for a sec, when, was when on fire. <laughs> hot glass with cold water. Things yeah. fucking break. Like, I did not have an alternate. It was it was that or just let the let the let the thing burn out. The candle exploded. The candle uh, did exploded. Did you get any shrapnel in your arm or whatever? N- nope. It it all kind of like just shattered like uh, in a close proximity. But the wax like blew up all over my counter. Like my counter was coated with hot wax that like dripped down onto the floor. And for like it went out immediately. But for like half a second, all of it was on fire. So I was like, oh my god, I just burned down my kitchen. <laughs> It was fine, and the next day I just had to scrape up a bunch of dried wax off of my uh, off of my counter and floor. But what did it sound like? What does the candle sound like when it explodes? It was a like in a movie where somebody has thrown a Molotov cocktail. It had that boom sound, like that, like uh, like it was exactly like that. Like first, it's, it's it was. Like the movie Backdraft. Yeah, but it was slow at first. Like, I poured the water on, and then nothing happened for a sec. And then there was, like, that high-pitched, like, wine sound of glass that's about to break. And then it just, like, the top just, like, split off. Um, and then, uh, and then it was the foosh noise. And then the next day, while I was cleaning, um, I opened the drawer that was below that counter. Um, and I saw that, um... That was where I had been storing some fireworks. So I got Man. so motherfucking lucky because in addition to the kitchen being on fire, it would have been super hard to explain when just red, white, and blue colors just started blasting out of the kitchen. <laughs> 
You <laughs> moron. Why is the fire shooting at us, too? <laughs> you fire is casting spells. Idiot. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it was not my... Eventually, my... I eventually plan on owning a home where I am responsible for it. There is no landlord to go crying to. Yeah, so that was Flymageddon Part 2. I'm assuming that there's going to be a Part 3 in which, like, I, I kill a guy. Like, at, at this point, you gotta... I think the flies are winning, man. You are... You are doing more damage to yourself than the flies are doing uh, to you. My sanity has been compromised, but th I did reach a point where I had successfully, like, like they're all gone. And in the, like, tail end of this war that I waged, they were trying to escape. Like, they were, like, clawing at the windows as I just, like, came up behind them. It was just like, no escape, no escape, no escape. <laughs> if you wanted to live, you shouldn't have come here. And I, I left, like, a couple of them, like, smeared across my window as a fucking warning. The like, flies like I put their Jesus high Christ! <laughs> it's the legendary one! I'm just gonna, like, put their heads on little toothpicks and line my property with them. I would rather blow up this house than give it to the flies. Yes. No. I... I again did the thing where I just start screaming at them of, like, You don't know who you're fucking with! You don't know what I've done! You don't know what I've seen! This is not the house for you! Just, like, yelling like a fucking Viking. Well, I think I think they got the hint now, right? Mm -hmm. Like, you, fucking you, better. you mean business. You are not yeah. fucking around. Yeah. Funny, oh. funny Great. stuff. Good. Great, Great story. job, Great guys. Story. Everybody, oh, everybody laughed at that. Everyone loved what was happening in that that story that I absolutely remember. Yeah. I totally you know, remember you recording, uh, you telling me this. I was not blackout drunk during the recording of that at all. It, you know, it, it had something for the whole family in that. I think we can all agree there. So let's get we into today's start episode. We recording our shit up. <laughs> in advance we could just like do this whole thing in segments uh do we want to get into the episode then let's get into the motherfucking episode let's go right this into is, it this is super weird this is the fastest we've ever gone to an episode let's just go up right up front and say this um this episode is fucking weird it's this is one of so the weirdest good. episodes it might be my favorite episode it <laughs> might it might actually be my favorite fucking episode i love this because it's so out of place uh, it is it, uh, it, i say often that an episode of this show is from a different fucking show but this is so very much from a different much better show like, yeah <laughs> it rules it's it comes out of nowhere, too. I mean, it doesn't come... Okay, look, I'll, let's get into this. Let me do the one-sentence summary. We are talking about uh, Season 5, Episode 14, Three Wishes for Opie, originally airs December 21st, 1964. Have Merry Christmas to everybody. Written by a guy we've never seen before, Richard M. Powell, and I don't think we'll see him again. So Powell just kind of shows up and and disappears. He burned uh, briefly but bright. Yeah. And he just kind of was a, a gun for hire, it kind of seems like. Uh, was president of the television writers branch of the Writers Guild in the 50s. So. Oh, this guy rules. This guy yeah. kicks ass. 
Yeah, and he did, uh, you know, he did work on Andy Griffith Show, Courtship of Eddie's Father, Charlie's Angels. So he was just a regular person, uh, regular writer on all these. Nominated for an Emmy Award for writing on a Bob Hope and Lucille Ball comedy special. All right, so this guy, this guy knows his shit. Uh, this guy rules. I'm, I'm yep. into this guy. It's a shame he. This, this season would be a lot better if he'd stuck the fuck around. Yeah, he's he pops in and then disappears. I don't. Oh wait, hang on. I got. I see his name one more time towards the end. Okay. okay. So so we'll watch for him. All right. So yeah, written by by Dick Powell, Richard M. Powell, and directed by Howard Morris, also known as Ernest E. Bass. Here is your one cent summary from Wikipedia. Barney buys fortune telling paraphernalia that seems to really grant wishes, and tests their power by asking Opie to make three wishes. That yeah, there it is. The title is, of course, Three Wishes for Opie. Just really straight forward here. Seems uh, to is an interesting thing to put because it grants it grants them. wishes. But according to all empirical evidence, the this is the Andy Griffith show episode where they reveal that in this universe, magic does exist and is real and can be purchased. For relatively cheap. So, like, it it leads... You, you now have to assume... Alright, in the Andy Griffith show, there is magic. Which means that somewhere off in this universe, there are wizards and shit. Like, there's psychics having, to be fair, having to be battles fair, on the astral plane. We Maybe were dragons. Just, we were just told in the last episode by the Darlings that they hang out with a coven of witches in the woods somewhere. Which we but, were supposed to dismiss as some crazy bullshit said by some mountain fuck vices. But guess what? Those witches are probably legit as hell. Yeah, we, we now have to go ahead and re-examine everything that the Darlings say. Because the Darlings' whole trait is that they are superstitious, like, mountain folk who believe in magic and wizardry. But it's real! We it's real. the darlings a massive apology, but only in this one For this. very specific situation. For this thing and this thing only. Darlings, you were correct on the subject of magic, and we cannot vouch for anything else about you. But in terms of the fact that you can bury a dead fox under a willow tree and it'll cause good luck, we now have to re-examine the strong possibility that you were on the level. <laughs> So, congrats, Will, we'll, the next time that you guys come on, we're going to be a lot more, a lot less skeptical of your claims. This episode also, I, we'll, we'll get into it in a second, but this episode also demolishes the fourth wall at one point. Just, just kicks the shit out of the fourth wall. This, just slightly, just slightly, but it, it's, it's very... It's so, this episode's so goddamn weird. Even the framing of this episode is weird because most of the episode is told in the form of a flashback or a story methodology, which is, so it's non-linear, which is different for the Andy Griffith show. But Extremely new. Yeah. So, like, this this is some experimental weirdness for this show. Uh, Opens up with uh, Andy walking the street and he comes across, comes across Howard McNear uh, keeping his health insurance but not standing up. Uh, Howard, still... Howard McNear seems like he is the Floyd that we knew, but he is melting. Like he's in an oven on like a low 200 degrees and he is just slowly like melting into the baking pan. 
It's like, very weird. We've seen him standing on his own once. One time since he came back. He's always sitting or leaning or something. And well, it's... Now, it used to be that he was he was always sitting, but he was, like, bobbing his head around and stuff like that. He kind of had, like, sort of a Muppet effect. Like, it was like Andy was talking to Kermit the Frog. But now, he's, like fully boneless in every scene like he's doing an occupy protest and he's just like laying back he can't even keep his head up he's just like oh hello andy how are you doing today like like the other characters have to move his head to be facing andy we sound really really close like we're making fun of a stroke victim we are just i want to be clear here our our stance on this is howard shouldn't fucking be there no (laughs) he seems really unwell (laughs) I mean, I think I was, I, I think I was making fun of a stroke victim. If I'm being honest with myself, I think that's what I was doing. Um, so we can, uh, but we, we should edit out me admitting to that. Probably that's probably Patreon content that I really I took it to a to a stroke victim. And since we're in Patreon content, you know what? Good, good. <laughs> They've had it too easy. <laughs> Finally, somebody somebody stands up to those stroke victims. Those goddamn stroke victims. Their powerful stroke victim lobby. Not gonna uh, take it lying down e- anymore. They are. Jesus fucking Christ, dude. I can't. I can't do that one. Floyd the Barber's hanging out, and he's talking to Judd for about the bajillionth goddamn time. Uh, they say, oh, hey, Andy. Congratulations. Andy says, for what? And they go, da-na-na-na-na. And Andy, like a complete moron, goes, who's getting married? Jesus fucking He's Christ, like Andy. He's like a little pissed off because I think he already knows what is about to happen. <laughs> and he's like, no, fucking tell me. Tell me. Tell me what it is. Like, he's not like, I don't know what's going on. He's like, say it. I know what you're going to fucking say. Just say it out loud to my goddamn face. Like, like, tell me what happened. Tell me what he fucking did. I know what he did. Like like a dog that pissed on the carpet. Uh Of course, of course, once again Barney is going around spreading that uh that Helen and Andy are getting married. There's not even a break this time. This happened in the last episode. Yes. Right? There's not even like a, a break in between episodes this time. Like, so uh and then Helen walks by pissed off. As yes. well she should be. Oh, extremely justifiably. This whole thing has, so she confronts Andy by saying, I have one requirement, which is when I I don't want to be told that I'm marrying somebody at a fucking PTA meeting, I want to have agreed to it beforehand. Um, Which the first thing is, she is, this is like turned into sort of the Helen Crump endurance challenge, which is like, how much punishment can a woman endure before she just breaks up with apparently the only guy in town that's not a complete fucking loser. Um, like, and just, she's she, she's furious at him because she straight up says, "Like, you know, you ain't shit, right?" Like, I yeah. had to sit and she says, "I had to sit and listen to everybody talk about like what a great catch you are and how great I lucky I am to be marrying the great Sheriff Taylor." And she says, "Like, what do you think you are, Mayberry's answer to Cary Grant? Cary Grant, Cary Grant." Like, like every once in a while, we become Cary Grant cast. Like, just just gotta sound the Cary Grant appreciation alarm. Fucking love that know. guy. But uh, so, well, yeah, her first thing is basically saying, like, hey, man, listen, everybody here thinks you're hot when, shit. When, 
when we were developing running gags for this show, did when we were developing this podcast, did we ever think that just like Marty and Dan's appreciation for like 30s and 40s actor Cary Grant would ever just would, did we think did we think that was going to become a running gag? Where did you that know, come from? You know what's what's crazy is we've been we've been doing the concept of movie stars for the ever since like. Uh, Buster Keaton, and it's kind of crazy that we kind of nailed it out the gate, right? Like, we kind of did it on the first try, and then everything else has been like, Psh, I mean, we're just trying to ca- recapture that Cary Grant shit, but uh, I don't know, we'll try to, we'll give this George Clooney guy a track, but uh, it, it's kind of like hitting coke that's been cut with baby powder. Tell you one goddamn thing, Cary Grant would never let his fucking likeness be absorbed by an artificial intelligence. No. Mainly because he would have no idea what that meant. No, he'd get whiskey drunk and go down to the studio and fight somebody. I don't know if that's the kind of person that Cary Grant was like, but I'm a 1950s movie star, probably. He probably, probably would have drunk driven his convertible into the studio, gotten out, beaten up three like like coffee boys before figuring out that they weren't studio executives, taken a couch nap, and then <laughs> gone home. Cary Grant would drown David Zaslav in a fucking fish tank. That's all I'm saying. Goddamn right he would. <laughs> uh, so, anyway, yeah, like, she's justifiably so mad because she's, like, sitting there, she has to listen to how great Sheriff Taylor is. And probably a little ego bruise, too, because no one's like, oh, Sheriff Taylor, you're so lucky. Did you notice this? Everyone's like, hey, Ta- Sheriff Taylor, you're so lucky that you're getting married. Nobody says you're lucky that you're marrying Helen, partially because Helen sucks. Yeah. And and like as a character, she's terrible. But that's got to make her feel awful. She's growing on me because of the speech that you mentioned uh, just before of her basically going like, listen, you ain't shit, all yeah. right? I'm not buying into your whole fucking cult of personality thing. You're just some fucking dude to me. We, I don't, I'm not gushing over what a great guy you are, how you're like God's gift to sheriffing. You're just some guy I'm dating, all right? Fuck off. This was like the most I've been on board with her. I'm like, all right, I'm getting it. I'm getting her. She's, she's kind of, she's kind of cool. I feel like I'm gonna, I'm gonna come around on Crump. Uh, you know, it reminds me. I've been I've been getting Sarah to watch uh Gilmore Girls, and there is a sequence in season one of Gilmore Girls after Rory and Dean break up, where the whole town is treating Dean like shit because Rory is the most beloved person in in the in the town, and it's entirely her fucking fault they broke up. Just mm-hmm. saying, Rory Rory couldn't say I love you when when Dean said it, so uh. It was entirely her fault. The whole town treats Dean like shit for no reason. There it is. Marty's got like some hot takes on Gilmore Girls from 2002. I have nothing to say about Gilmore Girls, except it is the only show that makes my dog chill out. So I guess I'm pro. <laughs> uh, anyway, so that's what it made, it made me think of. That's It reminded me of that. So Cr- Crump is mad. Uh, she storms off. Andy goes into the... Uh, jailhouse and basically throttles Barney. Like, Rat, like he while walk, she tells him to fuck off, and he is briskly walking um past Barney and just grabs him by the arm and drags him into the jailhouse. Um, which I'm I'm gonna say one Helen Cripps should have known that this is what had fucking happened immediately. Yeah, right, like like this is the fourth time it's happened. Yes. 
I, I'm going to say her attitude would, towards Andy should be that he is the single father to two children. And one of them has a severe behavioral disorder. Because in, in terms of like the practicality of dating him, Barney is his kid with severe attention deficit disorder. Yeah, I mean, it would it would make sense. And cause the show will never do this, but it would make sense if she was just like, hey, we can't date if you continue to be friends with Barney. This is the fourth time she's he's done this you like, they really this is like it, it's not like she this is cause for her to break up with him like sure fucking is i believe no, it i'm is. saying it's is imperative she has to break up with him like yeah this just doesn't work like it's not even it's out of her hands she should really be like listen man i like you a lot we're having a great time this is uh as hard of a deal breaker as you could possibly have. There's it's like not he has a, a person kid that keeps alive. starting fires. There's not a person alive who would put up this for with this not once, not twice, but four fucking times. Yeah. Like, so I mean, this is the fourth time you face public humiliation at the hands of this chinless dipshit. Yeah. So, uh, but just just imagine case, every every romantic uh, uh, if, when when you were dating Sarah and and getting to know each other. Just imagine that Don Knotts was just like behind the couch watching you guys the entire time. Just that's basically what her life is. I mean, he's been dead for many years. The so. ghost of Don Knotts. Oh, I assume the ghost of Don Knotts is with me at all times. Yes. Which is also what this episode is about because hey, segways. Because Barney says that this time he had nothing to do with the rumors that Helen and, and Andy were getting married. It's just going to happen. Why is it going to happen? Because Count the Count said so. And I want to make sure I get the, the Count's name right. Uh, Count Telecki. Count so, Istavan. Count Istavan Telecki. Which, which I, I, I heard as Countess Von Telecki multiple times. But it is Count Istvan Telecki. So... And, so I, I just dropped um, something in the chat. So, um, but, but before we get into it, I just want to say Barney's explanation. Andy says, you have done this three fucking times now where you go around and you tell everybody that we're getting married. And I want you to stay out of this portion of our relationship. To which Andy, Barney says, I don't, I didn't do it. I don't have a choice. You're getting married and there's nothing you can do about it. Which, I, Andy is at the point that we have been at for a long time, which is, he looks ready to beat the living shit out of him. Like he looks at the end of his rope. But so he talked about how this is the result of Count Telecki, which is a name that sounded familiar to me because as I'm getting older, I'm becoming one of the people that reads about World War II history um, <laughs> because I'm I'm assuming I'm going to be a dad soon because that's the strongest indicator. Um, and I looked up who Count Telecki is. Um, yeah, I I also have this like Meet Me TV did a uh, did a uh, couple of things on this. So, so who you got? So you got yeah, a different so, guy than I got. So Breaking Mayberry is being uh, Don Knotts has summoned the spirit of Count Telecki, um, former prime minister of uh, of Hungary, Nazi collaborator, and noted anti semite. So uh, that is kind of their their mystical force is that they have summoned a guy that died like 20 years ago that hated Jews. 
So see, I, 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 as much as I'd like to get on board with you on this, number one, they say that he died two hundred years ago. Number two, uh, me, me TV did a whole fucking series on this, uh, and so there are records on genealogy so that there was a Count Istvan Teleki, uh, who was born in sixteen o two, in what is now the Czech Republic, basically. So, but he, he wasn't, he wasn't very. No, he was in Transylvania. Now they weren't particularly famous. He was just a dude from Transylvania. So there was, there was another count from the 1600s that had this name. So I, I maybe I, the, 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 the Nazi is a much funnier way to, to do this though. Yeah. So instead of doing your thing, why don't we do my thing where it's funny because, uh, because it's a weird anti-Semite who shot himself in the head during the German invasion. Why don't we go with your, instead of going with your accurate thing, let's go with my funny one. It's true. It's true. The yeah. Nazi is funnier, so I guess I, we'll go with this. I know you were very happy with your me TV thing that you found, but I found one that's way dumber. <laughs> okay. All right. I, I, fuck me, I guess. Let's go with this. All right. Okay. Barty is of the belief that he summoned Let's just say a Nazi collaborator. Um, <laughs> so I'm in the spirit of a Nazi collaborator. But all of this happens in flashback because, okay, let's let's rewind a little bit here. Andy goes to Helen's house uh, and he says, okay, I found out what the deal is. Uh, and she says, I don't care. And he says, well, you're going to care. You're going to hear this. Gets a little sketchy how he's kind of like, he can, no, he gets- sit the fuck down and shut up. I'm going to tell you what's going on. There's one there's one line I really want to call out which is that like he said he says uh, do you want to I'm going to tell you what's going on she says I don't want to hear it and she says well you're going to hear it so sit down and then he starts off the story by saying Barney and Goober were at a police auction last week and she says what does a police auction have to do with anything and he says do you want to hear the story or don't you she just said she didn't yeah She's like, like, no, get out of my house. But yes, uh, they were at a police auction where Goober bought. And I like how they just throw in this detail that Goober overpaid for a like a spool of copper tubing. He paid 30 cents for a spool of copper tubing at the auction, which you can get anywhere else for 16 cents. But Goober wanted, I guess. And Barney bought a magic chest that from the. Uh, the word we would use would be Roma. That is not the word that he uses, but there were travelers in town last year. That Which, he... they have a very fuzzy relationship between the Roma, Eastern Europe, and Saudi Arabia. Um, yeah, yeah. So even even by uh, the standards of uh, racism towards uh, towards Roma, they are very fuzzy. It's all just kind of in one giant blob of other to them. Just like, like there's just a region on the map of like, I don't give a shit. Fuck it. It's all just the, some guys. Yeah, that's true. I mean, they, they say that they get the, uh, they got the booth for, or the magic chest from some Roma, but everything is Arabian. Everything is Aladdin and his magic lamp, you know? Of course, yeah. I guess I guess the Roma could have gotten it from somewhere else, too. It doesn't really matter. So now they have this magic chest uh, that Barney bought because he's interested. Because Barney is interested in the occult. Yeah. He, he, much he, like he, the Nazis. Much like the Nazis. Oh, fuck. This is like some it, police auction because it was seized uh, from 
KKK members? I don't know. It's Nazi paraphernalia. That's my thing. They found it in, like, in Hitler's bunker. Okay. All right. So he found yeah. this thing, and he, tell, he tells Goober that, you know, weird things are happening with ESP. ESP, by the way, is extrasensory perception, and uh, Barney calls it extrasensitive perception, and that's supposed to be a joke. They laugh they at give, it. Yeah, which the they laugh give track, that I'm a laugh assuming track. the home audience were very familiar with the specifics of that term. Yeah, uh, and so he's really interested in, like, the unexplained, so he's basically being Fox fucking Mulder over here. Uh, mm-hmm. Goober says, all right, I'm gonna go now. Goober comes back in because he remembers he forgot his copper tubing, and he finds Barney doing a, a seance, basically. Yeah. Which, Barney's whole thing is he's like, listen, I'm not really, I'm a, I'm a very down-to-earth guy, I'm not, I don't really go for that magic stuff, but... Can't prove it does. Is it real? Yeah, there's some weird stuff going on. You never know. Like, yeah. Bar- like, Barney tries to do a haha JK unless yeah with the spirits of the underworld. <laughs> yeah, like he's he's kind of doing the Joe Rogan thing of like, listen, I'm I'm a down to earth guy. I don't believe in uh I don't believe in that kind of stuff. But if you do a sensory deprivation chamber for two uh, four hours, some people say that you can talk to ghosts. So. Uh, so that's where that's where he it starts. Barney summons the spirit of uh, Count Telecki, who may or may not be a Nazi collaborator. Uh, and Count Telecki says, "I will grant wishes for you, but I need you to go to the library and rip some pages out of some books." <laughs> uh, and and it's very so the the details of the spell are very interesting to me because all right, so you got to cast the spell. Uh, and then you have some cards and that you flip over. And based on the number of cards that you have, or the type of cards you have, those are the number of wishes that you will be given by Count mm-hmm. Telecki. All of this is in the book, I suppose. It, he rubs a genie's lamp to do this. which Yeah, which, it, yeah so an, a, an oil lamp, which also for the first time in my life, I was like, oh, that's how those fucking lamps work. <laughs> yeah. I always, I always kind of wondered how. I just assumed lamp was kind of like a like in quotation marks, but no, there's looks there's sick when being there's used. there's a there's a the reason why is because every time I've seen it, there's never been a wick. There's supposed to be a wick sticking out of that little tube hole that you light, and that that makes way more sense. So by this point, this is all flashback. Helen is still going. What the fuck are you talking about, man? Yeah. Like, what does this have to do with anything? Uh, Goober walks in on uh, him performing the ritual, and Barney doesn't do his his wish at this point, right? The wishes are all Opie's. Yes. Uh, he's okay. just like, he's just testing it out, but Opie comes by the next day, he's still fucking with it, and uh, he has, Op- he like demonstrates with Opie, and he has Opie like turn over the cards. Opie gets three wishes. Um, right. The first wish is he just wants a jackknife. Um, and he immediately comes in, gives him a jackknife. Yeah, that's 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 what it comes down to. He asks for like a jackknife with a pocket knife, and then immediately Andy comes in and says, like, hey, check out this thing I just found in a drawer. Here's a jackknife. And every time it happens, they Don Knotts does a reaction to it. And Every single fucking time that man hits the fucking mark on what the reaction to that should be. Like, the first time, he just starts, like, vibrating. Like, it's 
like his like eyes ste- go buggy. Steam comes out of his ears, basically. Like yeah, he it's like the best performance Don Knotts has given on this fucking show. I mean, I I would react the exact same way. That's an extremely specific thing to happen immediately. I would freak the fuck out. In fact, this happened several times, and like we're supposed to act like Barney's crazy for this. That's a crazy coincidence to happen. That is all the evidence I need to start like trying to use this thing to win the lottery. For like, sure. For sure. Instantly. I'm done like with any skepticism. Like uh, in signed on. I mean, I'm already I believe in ghosts just on the basis of it's more fun to believe in ghosts. So yeah. I'm on board with this shit from day one. So of course he's freaking out. The next day he comes in and he rants at Andy a little bit, hands him a book uh, on psychic paraphernalia, which, hey, once again, this stuff was never, ever meant to be seen in, in high definition. The word psychic is misspelled on the book. It doesn't yeah. matter. It doesn't matter that much, but I just found it mildly amusing. This is still very funny because, like, Barney is trying to talk about it without admitting to anything. So he keeps saying, like, I cannot discuss this lamp with any particular certainty. Uh, I never saw a lamp that Aladdin would have rid- would have rubbed over in Saudi Arabia. Did you see that lamp? I didn't see that lamp. Did you see that lamp? Then I guess we can't discuss it intelligently, so you should just drop it. Like, kind of does some do some capital D discourse on it. Like, I can neither, I do not know the circumstances of the lamp. I do not know what the atmosphere is like in Saudi Arabia. So I cannot speak with any degree of, uh, of intel- intelligence on this topic. Like... Just kind of, like, start shutting him down. Um, and, uh, which is very funny, because he's the one who brought it up in the first place. Yeah. Andy, like, it's a fucking great interaction, because Andy is like, are you telling me that you, a grown-ass man that can drive a car and date and stuff, believes that the events of Aladdin were true? And Barney just basically goes, you can't prove they weren't. You weren't in Aladdin, so you can't say they didn't happen. Which is yeah, about as uh, good of a like defense of the occult as I've ever heard, you know? Yeah. So have you been everywhere all the time and you you haven't seen magic, but have you been everywhere that there could possibly have been magic? No. Then fuck off. Like the Salem witch trials. Were you there? Could you can you prove that none of them were witches? No. So maybe keep your fucking mouth shut. Opie walks in uh, and he says, hey. Dad, you said that we'd go to Raleigh if I get a B in arithmetic. If I, because I, if my grades go up and I get a B in in arithmetic, uh, well, you're going to Raleigh tomorrow, right? Can we go to the zoo? Can we like do stuff in Raleigh? And Andy, Father of the Year, is just like, boy, I wouldn't fucking bet on it. Yeah, <laughs> you? you've been doing shitty in school, idiot. You get a you get a B. That doesn't seem likely. I'm fucking the teacher, and I know that that's not likely. <laughs> I'm not even asking for better grades for your dumb ass. And then Andy says, well, I'm tired of this conversation. He just kind of leaves. He just kind of wanders off. Well, I got to go do something over there. Opie tells Barney, of course, that he's going to wish for a B in arithmetic. And Barney's like, well, let's just see what happens. Flash forward to this particular moment where now Andy is is accusing his girlfriend of being bad at her job. So Andy, Andy says... Like, so you gave him a B, and I think we both know that he, that my dumbass son did not deserve a B in fucking anything. And she was like, and she goes like, no, 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 he's, 
you know, he's been doing better. And there was a little bit of ambiguity. And he was like, it was a C. I didn't even, I wasn't even there. I haven't even looked at it because I haven't helped with his homework in four years. But that shit was a C. My son's a fucking dumbass. Yeah, man, it's very funny. He's just like how little of a shit he gives. And, and, uh, the defense here that Helen says is, well, sometimes I do bump up the grades as a bit of a confidence boost to give kids the benefit of the doubt, which I am not a teacher, but that does not seem like a solid methodology of education, but uh, all right, whatever. Sometimes I just lie to the kids and tell them they're smarter than they are. Sometimes I tell, I tell children they're doing much better than they really are. Sometimes I tell them that, you know, uh, four times five is actually 25. So, sometimes I just need to get their fucking parents off my ass and I bump I up their grades a little bit. And then uh, Andy says, like, okay, well, Barney believes that you were impacted by metaphysical forces uh, from beyond the underworld, from beyond, you know, our current plane of existence. Which I guess is the only re- explanation for how my son could get a B. And, you- and, to be, and to be honest, right? Like, once again, there's really no evidence that Helen wasn't influenced by the, uh, by, uh, the spirit of a uh, Nazi. Like, yeah. I don't know this why is- this... I don't know why this Nazi collaborator was so interested in giving this kid a B in arithmetic, but I'm sure it all makes perfect sense. <laughs> this is kind of operating on the uh, 10,000 years of longing rules of genies where instead of them just like snapping their fingers and making shit happen, the genie has to actually like go there and like do the shit. So like the genie has to like, like show up at her house and be like, hey, let's make it. A, let's just like whispering in your ear like, B, B, make it a B, B, B. Come on, come on, come on. Don't be a dick. Don't be a fucking dick. I got to get this dumbass kid to Raleigh so I can go home. We talk about that's like in, in ten thousand years of longing. Like there's I, there's a scene where a woman just wishes for all the knowledge in the world, and then the genie just becomes her fucking tutor. Yeah, like, he just has ra- to hang out and teach her everything. Ra- rather than like just give her infinite knowledge immediately, he's like, "All right, I'll stop by the library on the way home." Okay, uh, I gotta get you a bunch of fucking books. <laughs> It rules. It's the best way to do a genie. I liked like that movie. That movie rules. If you wish for the genie to like uh to kill somebody, he has to go some go to his house with a club and beat him to death. Uh so yeah, that is it. So apparently the spirit of Count Telecki was just whispering, Come on, give Opie a B. Because we all kind of feel like Opie doesn't deserve the B. Even Helen's defense itself is just that like she was padding his ego so barney and floyd and goober go on a stakeout essentially they are trying this out at the jailhouse in the dead of night like when no one's around because they want because barney wants witnesses please confirm for me that this happens because uh i watched this episode twice uh but i couldn't find it but in on the ultra reliable mayberry wiki there is a note here that says floyd breaks the fourth wall when he asks who is laughing after goober nearly explodes the candle while the three of them are sitting in the dark so like goober blows like goober blows up the candle and floyd goes who's laughing referring to the laugh track did that, that happen i didn't notice that happening 
but I feel that would I feel be like it's pretty ve- fucking cool. I feel like it's just a very brief like like blink and you miss it. I'll have to watch the scene again. But if that you does know, happen, then yes. Uh, actually, of of course, of course, it would make perfect sense that Floyd of all people is able is fully is the Deadpool here and is. <laughs> Is we fully have aware. gone on record that Floyd is the Deadpool of the Andy Griffith cinematic universe. I think we're all on board with that. No, wait a minute. No, no. Floyd is not the Deadpool, but Floyd does, of course, have the ability to break the fourth wall. Because, as we all know, he Floyd the Barber is also a Freakazoid character. Floyd yes. the Barber cuts his hair. Freak of me. Freak of you. It's mentioned right in the Freakazoid uh, opening credits that Floyd the Barber cuts Freakazoid's hair. So Floyd is an interdimensional traveler. like, And he escaped to the universe of 30 Rock and fucked Tina Fey. Yeah. So he so, also has that for him. Yeah. So, yeah, of course. Of course Floyd knows he's on television. Duh. Yeah. Do, 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 freak me. Was, freak, was Freakazoid good? Freakazoid was we, good, right? We just did a rewatch. It's pretty legit. It's pretty I mean, legit. It it sort of drops its whole conceit of him being a superhero with a secret identity like Immediately. 20 minutes in. Like yeah. they do like the pilot episode where he has to turn into Freakazoid and then it's just like it's just whatever. He just like goes around doing bits all the time. I think it's far, it definitely has a higher hit miss ratio than like animaniacs right which oh, Anima- 100%. animaniacs like we we remember the good stuff animaniacs is a show that like benefits from youtube where i can only watch like the good clips and i forget how much garbage that made no sense there was uh anyway so yeah floyd the barber and an interdimensional traveler they run through the whole thing barney gets one wish barney says okay i got one wish that's what my cards came up i'm gonna make it an easy one i'm gonna wish for a new fingerprint kit I asked for a fingerprint kit six months ago. Nothing has happened. And then the lights go out. They hear someone enter, put something down, and they walk out. And then Barney goes outside to investigate, and he comes back in. Gentlemen! And he's holding a fingerprint kit. Come back to Helen and Andy, and they're like, oh, well, that dumb Barney. I Andy put the fingerprint kit there. Yeah, I was walking by. And uh, I went to the mailbox, and there was a fingerprint kit that finally came in, so I just delivered it. You know, that wonderfully convenient timing. Why are they acting like Barney's crazy? No, every... So, they keep... It's the thing I like about this episode is, like, when Barney is explaining psychic stuff to Andy, they go out of their way to show that the book he is reading was written by a fucking quack who used to be a guitar teacher who decided to become a, do- a doctor of psychics. Yeah. Um... So they keep setting it up, be like, all right. And actually misspelled the word psychic on his own book. Oh, that might have been an inside joke. That that joke might have been intentional. So um, they keep, like, setting it up. Like, all right, this is the time where we're going to, like, pull the rug out and reveal that all the magic stuff is bullshit. But then it just never happens. And then, like, they'd be like, all right, it's time to prove that magic is... Oh, fuck, he got another one. Oh, shit, that wish came true, too. All right, well, the (laughs) next one will probably uh, be... Nope, that one, too. Okay, all right. Um, One more for luck. Let's see if maybe this one is the one where he gets his come up. Nope, Nope, another. Okay, wow, five for five. Okay, which, again, we've already established... Two wishes by this child, improbably, uh, completely improbable. 
would you fucking waste your test run on a fingerprint kit that is already in the goddamn mail? Something that I already ordered? Like... Lottery ticket! He says, like, I, oh, got- I don't want to give him anything too hard. You had two test runs! Get a lottery ticket, you dumb shit! I got, uh, I got one wish left. I really hope that, that, that the cat litter I ordered from Amazon Prime shows up in two days. That's yeah. what I really hope for. I hope I get that 5% off on subscribe and save. Yeah. I'm wishing for that. <laughs> I, I need, I, I need Count Teleki to go to the post office for me and hassle the person at the front desk. Why do you, why do you use yourself as the test dummy? Right? You have Floyd and Goober right next to you. Why not have one of them do the test run? Why? Because you can't give Floyd the power of wishes. Right? No. Floyd would abuse that. But Goober would just wish for, like, a ham sandwich. And then he would get a ham sandwich. And then then you know that magic is real. And Goober has a ham sandwich. And everybody's happy. Just Floyd... I want a ham sandwich. Dan, can you make me a ham sandwich? Uh, I'll make you a fucking ham sandwich. Thanks, Dan. Thanks, Dan. (laughs) I, my Floyd, wish came true. Season season five, Floyd would probably wish for something as dumb as a ham sandwich. He'd be like, oh, I wish that my combs were clean when I went in tomorrow. Season two, Floyd, he's got, like, he is declaring himself God Emperor of Earth, and there are, like, concubines and war elephants, and that man just goes full Doctor Doom ten minutes in. Like, like with, with within a second, he's just like got his his barber vest like wide open, just ripped like like Craven the Hunter, just yeah. like just like hanging out on a on a gold throne. No, his uh, that's still a barber chair. Just has a gold barber chair. Floyd is all hail Floyd, Emperor of the Universe. <laughs> Floyd, King of Barbers. <laughs> Floyd, God, Emperor of Barbers. May hair forever tremble in his wake. <laughs> you know, it's, uh, this sleepy bitch would just, yeah, also wish for a ham sandwich. So again, again, like, why use it on yourself, Barney? Anyway, Barney gets his fingerprint kit that he already ordered. And then, then finally, the next day, like, Barney's full-on convinced. All right, magic is fucking real. I have the power, to, but also, like, I only got one, and this bitch child got three. Which I'm sure, he, it's interesting to me that he's not jealous of this. Right? Yeah. Like, other writers would have done, like, him being jealous about this. No. Instead, he's very chill about it. Uh, Opie runs in and is like, hey, I've got an idea for my third wish, but I don't think it's gonna happen. It's about Miss Crump. And Barney now makes the natural assumption that, uh, okay, he's gonna, like, Opie's wishing for them to get married and for him to have a new mom. And that's where Barney goes, ah, don't worry about it, Ope, it's gonna happen! You wished for it, it's gonna happen! And then Barney does his fucking Barney thing. Just tells everybody, and at this point, like, Andy and Helen Crump are, like, drinking tea together, like, they're totally cool, and, like, talking bemusedly about what a dipshit Barney is. Barney's entire motivation on this episode is, Magic is real, and I want to prove, not even to anybody else, but really just to myself, that magic is real. He could really give a shit about, like, even Andy and Helen Crump getting married, which has been his sole focus for, like, half the fucking season, is just that, like, he's not even invested in that anymore. He's just like, I'm just invested in, like, proving that, that, uh, 
uh, that Count Teleki is real and magic. Like, I, I, I again, give a fuck. He is, he is the Fox Mulder, and everybody else has to be, like, season one Agent Scully, where all the magic stuff happens when I'm just out of frame. Yeah. I So, the only... I It's been a while since I watched The X-Files, but the only way that that show could possibly make sense to me, with, like, the, the whole thing of, like, Scully, like witnesses definitive proof that god exists like three times in the first two seasons no no um, no no. she doesn't she i'm watching the x-files right now and it's all scully is always just in the other room when the weird yeah. thing happens she's always just upstairs uh but like but by the end of it by the end of season one like it makes they have to bend over backwards and make scully seem like the dumbest woman alive that she's still only- on that kick the only way the show makes sense is if you are seeing one out of every 15 cases and the other 14 are just Mulder just throwing shit at the walls. It's just Mulder yelling at balloons. Yeah, yeah. absolutely. Like, we, like, we've got a hostage situation in Reno. Well, that must be the, uh, the result of the hostage-taking ghost that's possessed this man. Nope, nope, Mulder, and four people are dead because you tried some bullshit. All right, and the next one. I'm sure this is the one that'll be aliens. Like that's the only reason for her skepticism is that we're just missing all the times that he's a monumental dumbass. I like this theory. That's a good. That's a good yeah. headcanon. I make it makes perfect sense. All right, so Barty's telling everybody that they're gonna get married. Da 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 da. And then Andy and Helen, like this, all kind of comes to head when Andy and Helen confront barney and they're like okay man all the other magic stuff worked out this one ain't happening it's not gonna yeah. happen buddy like we've told you a million times keep the fuck out of this their defining trait as a couple is now we both agree that we don't want to get married like it is their defining characteristic they're like like it's top of the list like we are both not interested in that shit. Everything that's like, oh yeah, we also like to go on picnics and stuff. And I, you know, I like you as a person. But importantly, you are the person in town that doesn't want to fucking marry me. And <laughs> that is what I like about that you. Is, that listen, how how many episodes has Helen been in at this point? Can't be more than ten. At least yeah. four of them rotate around this theme of them not wanting to get married. Like, yes. It's so it's it's a good portion of their relationship. It's like. It's like how much time in my relationship is spent deciding what we're going to have for dinner. It's the happiest they are with each other is when they're agreeing to not get married. They just are like, hey, you don't want to get married, right? No, hell yeah, I don't. And it's like, fuck yeah. And then they high five and be like, never getting married. (laughs) (laughs) Their favorite topic is how they're not doing it. Like, Like, they probably just hang out at home and be like, uh, more coffee, woman that will never be my wife. And absolutely, thank you, man that I will never call my husband. Get in here. <laughs> so Barty says that he's upset. He's like, well, I guess this one isn't going to work out. Enter Opie, and they're like, hey, man, listen, about that, that wish. For the fourth time, I'm going to have to tell you you don't have a new mom. And then Opie's like, yeah, I don't give a shit, man. I, di- I didn't wish for that at all. I just wanted help. I did. I, that wasn't what I wished for. And they go, not. And they, he says, no, I wished that uh, Miss Crump would be my teacher next year. 
Probably because Miss Crump gives me bees when I don't fucking deserve them. Mm-hmm. So he wished that Miss Crump was going to be his teacher next year, but I don't think that's going to happen. Like, zoom in on Miss Crump's face, on Helen's face, and she says, I was told this afternoon that I was being transferred to the sixth grade. And then they cut to commercial. Hard black. Magic is real in the Andy Griffith show. So that's it. Like, uh, Opie made like an offhanded wish, like an offhanded comment, and it changed the trajectory of this woman's career slightly. Like, yeah. And now she will be be his teacher in the sixth grade. Which I'm going to say yet another blown wish. Uh, This time justifiable because it's from a fucking child. But also, like, yeah, this is probably his best shot at getting into college is having two years of a teacher that uh, that his dad is fucking like. I mean, he already got a knife and he got to go to the zoo. All right. So for for a 10 year old, <laughs> those are pretty good wishes. Like he's, have, he's having a great week. Honestly, yeah, that would be that would be a priority. for I me. would I would be happy if I got a pocket knife and I got to go to the zoo this week. Like, honestly at 10 i would have been happy with just the knife uh, you could have been like all right you get three wishes I'm, like, I'm good man you can keep the other two i got this fucking knife stinger is that uh andy and helen are now playing with the tarot card game essentially themselves and helen jokingly is like okay well i guess i'll wish for what opie didn't wish for and now they have to talk about actually getting married, and which is weird. They don't seem like super flirty. This doesn't make a whole lot of sense. And then Barney walks in. He's like, listen, guys, I had nothing to fucking do with this. This was not me. This was not me. I swear to God. And he super hands, was. And he hands, hands him the newspaper. And the newspaper says, uh, the newspaper has a wedding announcement from Helen and Andy, probably in June. And that's just how they no, end no, the episode. No. Not more, 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 more. It's boom, boom, boom. Like it's dramatic Twilight Zone music is what it goes out on. This will like, never be mentioned again. Nope. The, the fact that they have a magical device that is just hanging out in the back room that is capable of uh, granting wishes based on the spirit of a very generous Nazi collaborator. Uh, mm-hmm. yeah. What happens when Otis gets that thing, man? I mean, he's just going to wish for a flask that is never empty. Yeah, that's a pretty easy one. Yeah. And then he's happy. Um, you know why uh, Count Teleki was, uh, is so happy to grant wishes in this town? It's white as hell. Mm, that's true. Yeah. That's, that's why true. he's so receptive. He was like, oh, finally. Now, I, yeah, I'll, I'll help you guys out. This place seems kick ass. If they, if they had, like, unearthed that, that chest in, like, Atlanta... Would have been, would have been like, no, no, not, keep wouldn't walking. Have, wouldn't, wouldn't have been chill. Can't give wishes to that element is what, <laughs> is what Count Tilaki says. Yeah. He, just, you just see a trespassers will be shot sign on the lamp. Jesus. So that's it. That's this episode. Ratings, Dan. Uh, Andy meter 10. 10 motherfucker. This 10. episode, this episode it, is so good. It's, basically one of the lighter episodes of the twilight zone like it it kind of has that vibe it's the it's really well written like not just for uh for this show but in general the um have you ever seen that lamp conversation 
genuinely really funny. It's very funny. Honestly, the direction has like a little bit more kick to it than they normally do. The way that they shoot the seance scene where Barney, Floyd, and Goober are sitting in the dark. And then you hear the heavy footsteps come in as something is placed on the desk. The way that they frame all three guys in the darkness hearing it is fantastic. It's, it's well made. It's legitimately yeah. well, like, well made. Howard Morris finally is really stepping into that director's chair doing some interesting stuff. Yeah. he The way the Don Knotts is in the fucking pocket in how his and how he is reacting to the supernatural stuff and Howard Morris knows how to like really amplify everything Don Knotts is doing like his the way that he's processing all of this supernatural stuff you can actually get a sense of like like how this is happening to him like when he starts like shaking with a with like with intensity you get a sense of like, all right, I can kind of see the chemical reaction happening in this guy's brain. Like somebody just dropped some Mentos into some Coke in this guy. I think it also uses like Andy's recent Xanax tour uh, effectively because yeah. Andy's the narrator, right? Not, like Andy's not, not much is happening to Andy. He's relaying the story that he heard. Uh, so he only has to get a little mad. He only has to do any real acting for the first little bit. So I think, Strangely enough, like the limited amount of Andy in this episode makes him very useful. Another useful thing of the flashback thing is there is a point where um, it is between Andy's second wish and the seance that Barney holds. And Andy just goes like, and, you know, as you can imagine, Barney got really riled up and yelled a bunch of bullshit after that. And it's kind of like, oh, cool. You could just skip over the <laughs> bad part of the episodes with this. Like Andy just goes like, all right, and and then you like you know, yada yada yada. I don't have to say, uh, show it to you, and let's get back onto the good part. Yeah, uh, this is also the best that Anita Coruscant has been when she gets really mad at the beginning. That's like the best little bit of her. The only thing we're really missing is uh, is some Aunt B. The only thing we're missing is is letting Aunt B do anything, which that 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 would be my she wish. Would, that would be my wish. Would, she, that there, what would she have brought to the table? She would have not. Like, she, there'd be nothing. There'd be nothing for her. In, in yeah, the sense there was. It, I, I think even at like the best, Ampy is treated during this. She would have just been like, "Oh, when I was a girl, we had magic," and then she's out of the fucking episode. <laughs> so yeah, I mean, I also have to give the episode a ten. It it rules. It's it's so weird. It's so anti Andy Griffith show. Like, uh, the the one the ones we like the most are the ones that are just so out of left field. So uh, so fucking weird. Yeah, so 10 for this. All right, you're going to get mad at me for this. But for, before we do the Barney meter, I do need to remind you that the Nazi thing is a thing that we made up. It is not in the canon in the yes, episode. Yeah. Okay? Just got to remind you of that. Uh, this is not actually the spirit of a Nazi. So that said, Barney meter, I got to give it a zero, right? Like, there's nothing. I'm, I'm going to say, so we glossed over it pretty hard. There is some representations of uh, the Roma. And uh, they, Middle Eastern people. They, they, they use the, the, the slur that people don't think is a slur. but Yeah, yeah and it, it's not a lot. It's not, they, they don't lean on it really hard. It is there. Um, it's, I, I'd, put, I'd say just a, a one based off of that, just to, you know. Yeah, just, yeah. Yeah. Okay, um, I, but that's yeah, it. that might have put me on a one. Yeah, that's it. It's a good episode. I liked watching yeah. it. It's so weird. It's so freaking weird. 
And that's it for us. Really, yeah, that's that's it for us. Uh, Thanks. This is like the happiest I've ever been at the end of one of these recordings. (laughs) (laughs) Like, just nothing bad happened. We're just chilling out. We're just chill. Uh, I'm just hanging out with my good friend, the Andy Griffith Show. What the fuck is going on? Like, me and Andy are going to go for a beer after this? What the fuck? I might actually just go fishing. Like, it might happen. Yeah. All right. That is it for us. Uh, remember, you can give support us with your money dollars at patreon.com slash breaking Mayberry. And right now, all of the funds we get this month uh, are going to help striking writers and actors. Uh, and you can also, on our Gumroad site, download all of our bonus episodes if you don't want to spend the money on the Patreon thing. But if you do spend the money on the Patreon, you can make us watch stuff. You can hang out in our Discord. You can watch in real time as I expose Dan to Heathcliff comics. Uh, and he learns what Heathcliff is all about. That was a fun thing we did this week. Uh, we should really like print out that whole interaction. Because it is just a descent into madness as the people on our Discord just expose me kind of like slowly to the madness of Heathcliff. Like, they're like, oh, he's wearing a helmet that says ham. And I'm like, that doesn't make any sense. And then it's just followed by, if you think that's weird, check out this comic. And I'm like, that also is crazy. And it's just, well, check this one out. Uh, And that happens over the course of like six hours as I was supposed to be doing my job. (laughs) Uh, And that is it. I don't. I really don't know how to end this anymore without plugging our stuff. I'm on Blue Sky. I'll probably use my one Blue Sky, uh, my one Blue Sky invite to put us on Blue Sky. But that's about it. Uh, if you like the show, give us a rating and review. Uh, tell your friends. That is it for us. We'll see you all down at the fishing hole. Oh.